Well, good morning, everyone. How are you guys? Doing well? It is well with your soul? Good. I'm glad. Uh, how many people served in the October, the last week, last Sunday, October 31st? Man, look at that. Look at that. Look around here. I was so impressed. I was so impressed. We had, we had 92 people that had pre-registered to sign up to serve. And then about a couple of dozen of you just showed up and said, where can I serve? That's huge. That's, that's making a difference, right? That right there made a huge impact on 2,000 people that came through. The 45, within 45 minutes, we had already given out 1,000 tacos to the group that was coming through from church and other people coming in. That was huge. We realized that we didn't, 250, 250 pounds of meat is not enough. We're going to go for 1,000 next year. We're going for 1,000. And yes, and... 250 pounds of candy with all those kids is not enough, so we're going for 1,000 as well next year. And instead of one plane flying through, we have scheduled two, maybe three planes that are going to be flying through dropping candy. So that's going to be rock star awesome right there. So uh, we're going to have carnival. We're already planning for carnival rides to be out there as well, more bounce houses. The horse ride was amazing. Every child, every child, they, they said the people who are orchestrating the horse rides where there was about a three-minute horse ride for each person, and every one of them, the gospel was ministered to them. That's huge. That is huge. They, they, they would ask if they knew Jesus, what they knew about Jesus, and then if they would like to get to know Jesus. It was, it was huge. Uh, what else happened? So another guy was driving around on the hay rides. He had a little sign that was very simple, four symbols, and he stopped every hayride, 29 hayrides, he said, and at least 20 people on each hayride. And so he would minister the gospel on, based on those symbols to every group that he had. So it was almost 600 people that he ministered the gospel to. That's huge. Now, that's an impact, making an impact together, together, serving our community. So that was really exciting. Uh, let's see, what else that took place I can't remember. I'm just so thankful, though, that you guys were, were a part of the team. Were, were, and I, I, what I saw for me was, as I was in one of the windows at one time and all throughout the day, was just seeing all the red shirts, the serve shirts, people just serving, and then other churches in their shirts were, were just serving the body, serving the lost, serving others, and everybody was just having a great time. Just, just watching all these faces and people giving life away, here's, here's the thing to realize when I'm giving life away, I feel most fulfilled. And for me, it was like, we set the table, we did all the hard work, all the planning, all the stress, all the spiritual warfare laying, leading up to, we set the table, we prepared a meal, and then we just got to sit back and watch people eat. Man, there's, for me, for a leader, there's no better thing than to get to watch people both close to God and far from God mix and blend and just connect with one another and just have fun. That is huge. That's what it's all about. Objective, objective was met. That's exactly what we said we wanted to do, and we did what we set out to do. Congratulations, guys. Congratulations. So... Uh, also, if you did serve, we have a free coffee. We'd love to, at any point, we got a little uh, free gift card for a coffee in our, in our Thrive Cafe. Come through any time and get that, but get it on your way out. 
but get it any day of the week that we're open Tuesday through Thursday. Uh, this Wednesday, this past Wednesday, we had our first Wednesday at 6 p.m. service. And man, we had a, a powerful time. I taught on core values. And I would encourage you to go back to you, YouTube and watch that. But even better than that, we had a taco truck come through. And, and I'm, I might have eaten a big burrito and four tacos, but you can't tell. I understand. Don't look. You, <laughs> you can't tell. It was, but they were good. You never know what you're going to get on the first Wednesday here at Thrive. So I want to encourage you to make those, make those. As, as Shauna and Nicole said, we have our baptism. Next baptism is coming up November 28th. That is Thanksgiving weekend, the weekend following Thanksgiving. If you've never been baptized, water baptized, I encourage you to get water baptized. Fully immersed as an adult, saved believer, baptized, okay? And then... Last but not least, most importantly, probably, this is why we get to do what we're able to do. Do we have any veterans in the house right now? We got one. Would you guys stand up? Would you guys stand up? Would you stand up? There we, there we, there we go. Thank you. Veterans Day. Yes. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Veterans Day this Thursday, I believe. So be praying for these guys as well. And as my beautiful wife, Allie, said, we sent out some missionaries a couple of weeks ago, October 17th, and today they text and said they're being, they had passed their test, their mountain climbing test with backpack gear in Thailand. They were waiting their trip over into Burma because you didn't hear this, but they were being smuggled into Burma so that they can minister. They're, they're, training, they're training a village people how to, uh, for medical services, medical care, so that they can take care of their own people. But it, it's not as short of a, of a boat ride, and I mean a little, little boat ride in a river between Thailand and Burma. It's a nine-hour boat ride that they're taking because of one crossing was closed. As Ali was talking about crossings, one crossing was closed due to COVID, so they have to take another nine-hour mini little bitty baby boat ride uh, so pray for them. Pray for them. And that's happening right about now, actually. So pray for them. Uh, so that's exciting. And there's nothing, if you, if you have missions in your heart, there's nothing more exciting than being in a moment like that. If you don't, you're like terrified. Oh my gosh, I'll never do that. In fact, I don't know if I'm going to leave home tomorrow. But when your heart is just geared towards giving life away in areas like missions, you love that stuff. So in, 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 in light of that, too, I do want to invite you, March 12th, through the 19th of 22 to come with me to Honduras. We're going on a mission trip. And like I said before, we got stuck there during the pandemic when it started. It's okay. We can get you out. Not a problem. We're going to get through it. <laughs> it's exciting, right? And plus, I think we have a pilot in the house, a couple of pilots now. We can, maybe we can just get on out of here, out of there. But anyway, so we're in our, we're in our message series, From Pain to Purpose. From pain to purpose, and this is all of our journey, we have all experienced pain on some level. Every person has a dream in their heart, a calling. In fact, Ephesians 2.10 says that we are created in Christ Jesus for the good works, for the good works which he created beforehand so that we would walk in it. So the whole desire, the de design and the destiny in us has been already created before you were born. For this gap of eternity... For your generation, God created in advance a good work, and then he created you to fulfill, find and fulfill that good work as you're pursuing him. This is the, script, this is, this is the word of God. And so in, in all of that, 
We have painful experiences as children, and so Satan loves to impart false truths that are lies that we own really fast, and we make them our truth. We make them facts. We make them, they become a paradigm through which we see life and through which we, by which we make decisions. And in our journey, this is Satan's attempt to discourage, to distract, to thwart us from fully fulfilling what God has previously designed us for. And so in the pursuit, and this is why we're so adamant about freedom, in the pursuit, we're pursuing God, we're seeking God, seeking what he has for us, and in doing so, we're learn, we learn to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit so that he can rewrite the wrongs, the lies that Satan has uh, priorly given us in our deepest, our darkest, our hurt, most hurtful moments and experiences. This is called freedom. This is a process of freedom. I no longer own the lie that Satan gave me as a reason why this happened or because of this me, whatever, the, or because of this them. I now align with the word of God and the Holy Spirit gives me new truth for me to see life from, which brings freedom, it brings joy, it brings the abundance of life, and it brings inner healing. So this is our, all of our journey, and it looks like this, because we're constantly hitting brick walls and having to turn around, and yet still, God gives us more opportunity and more opportunity and more opportunity. So we start at, at birth, and we have a destiny on our life, Pains come along, maybe you're in the process of that pain. Maybe your life right now looks like that pain. Uh, more than likely, and all of us endure some sense of pain when we're children because we just don't fully understand life in general, and that's just all of us. And so Satan plays on those opportunities to discourage us, to confuse us, to thwart us from the reason that God has created us. And in our pursuit, we're finding the truth, the, the realities, but Satan is always trying to fulfill a hurt, a wound with the wrong things. That's why we have these tests that we're talking about. There's actually 10 tests. How many are tired of being tested? Well, it, it, they, they last all of our lives. It's like a, a circular staircase, a winding staircase. And every level of responsibility and authority and, and stewardship comes with the same test being challenged, which shape us. So that God can form us to truly become all that he's created us to become. So one person, I actually heard a quote this week. Everybody wants to be a lion until it comes time to doing lion stuff. When it gets difficult, all of a sudden, I'm no longer in it. I'm no, it's no longer my passion. It's no longer my desire. But it's in doing the lion stuff that God forms the lion so that we can conform to his image, the image of the lion so that we can fully fulfill why we've been created. And so there's only one thing that can keep any of us, myself included, any person from fulfilling that purpose, and that's character. And these 10 tests that we're going through are all purposed to bless us, to shape us, to form us, to build us up, to edify us, to keep us accountable, and to strengthen us in character so that we can uphold, we can sustain the blessings and the favor, the responsibility and the authority that God gives us as he grows us throughout our lives towards his purpose. Is that good enough? Are you getting this? You got to get this. But today we've talked about, now we've talked about the pit test. We've talked about the palace test. We've talked about the pride test. And now we're talking about the purity test. And Genesis 39 is where we'll pick it up. Verse 7 says, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast 
longing eyes on Joseph. And she said, lie with me. Verse 8, but he refused and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what, it, what is with me in this house. What is with me in the house? And he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And here's what, here's what Joseph knew, that he wouldn't be just sinning against himself. He wouldn't just be sinning against Potiphar, whose house he was in and whose wife was tempting him. He knew that he would be sinning against God himself. Moving on. So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. Isn't that how Satan works? Just constantly working on you, working on you, working on you, working on you, working on you. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside. Sounds like opportunity. That she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. Now, his, his mind was knowing, if I do this, this is going to mess up my purpose. This is going to mess up my future. This is going to mess up my family. This is going to mess up my situation. So he flees. But here it is, Satan, always working and finding opportunity. She had been working and working and working and notching and notching and notching. Now, there's many things to be said. Potiphar wasn't home. There, there she was seeing Joseph with longing eyes. And then all of a sudden, here's an opportunity because none of the servants were around. And this is exactly why, let me just impart this, this is exactly why we never let opposite genders at this church, staff members, or anybody else be in a room together with the door closed. Because it gives Satan, not, the, not that anything's going to happen, it gives Satan an opportunity to twist a truth. And Satan is always looking for opportunities to manipulate something to destroy an individual or individuals. And so, for example, uh, sorry, number one is that in our, in our notes here, impurity affects your family. I want you to use the, use the example with you. King David, who was the, the greatest, most famous king in the kingdom when the kingdom era began, Saul was first king, then King, the king David followed. Well, he, in 2 Samuel 11, he falls to sin, sexual sin, with Bathsheba. Then, two chapters later, in 2 Samuel 13, there are his kids falling into sexual sin. And it's pretty great. And he, he does nothing. In fact, he turns a blind eye. He is blinded, I would believe. He's blinded to this because of the, his own sexual falls. His own, own giving in to this same situation, this same sexual immorality in his life. And so he looks as if as, as nothing had taken place. And I, I just want to say this right here. If people aren't speaking up about something that is sin, it may be because that sin is in their life as well. You just need to know that. Here we have Joseph, though, and he knows if he does this, it will affect his purpose, it will affect his family, and it will affect his future. And here's the lie that Satan has us believe. As long as you don't cross the line and physically do it, you're fine. As long as you don't transgress, it won't affect your family. 
As long, as long even though you're, you're letting it in your mind and it's taking up space in your decisions, your, your emotions, it's, it's causing you to be controlled by something you don't even realize is controlling you. Maybe you're even... Maybe you're even looking at pornography or you're looking at social media, those little videos that I found are 20 seconds long, little TikTok, social media, the reels that they play right now, which, which blows my mind that there's some of these people that have like a million views and the, the lady or the guy's doing nothing but standing there changing clothes in a changing outfit. Like, like you don't see them physically changing, but all of a sudden it's like a pop-up screen and they're changing. Why would somebody, why would a million people sit there and watch that? And then 20 seconds turns into 30 minutes, and you've worked, watched 30, second, 30 minutes of 20-second videos. You follow me? Because there's a next one, and then there's a next one, and then there's a next one, and there's a next one, and then there's a next one. But long as you don't cross the line, the, here's the truth. When the Bible speaks about sin, it's talking about an inward motivation that leads to an outward movement. It happens, it starts, it all begins right here. And before too long, it's beginning to be fleshed out and lived out out here. Transgression is an outward movement. It means I've got, it's welled up so much inside right here that now it's caused me to begin to move in that direction with evidence. Transgress in the Hebrew, it literally means to step over a boundary line. We use the word trespass. So if you have some property and your neighbor crosses your property line onto your property, they have trespassed. They have transgressed. There's been a boundary. There's a boundary line that has been crossed. It's been trespassed upon. It's called transgression. There's another word in the context of sin. It's called iniquity. Now, this is an inward bent towards sin. So avon, the word in Hebrew would be avon. It's a, it's a bent towards something. It's an, an internal bent towards something that looks out. It begins to come outward, turns into a transgression. I want to give you an example. If you've ever seen a tree that's, that's pretty tall, probably maybe in a windy space, and the tree just looks bent in a certain direction. The wind has always hit it, and it's just constantly beat it up against this direction from one side to another. And the, the bent... The tree is bent. Its inclination is to go this direction. It's a bent. It's an internal bend towards a certain direction. This is called an iniquity. So lust would be an iniquity and adultery would be a transgression. The lust was inside. It was the inward motivation that became, became the outward mo uh, movement. That's called transgression from iniquity to transgression. Now, what scripture and many people think, as long as I don't transgress that boundary, I'm okay and it won't affect my family. But scripture doesn't say that the transgressions of the, father, of the fathers will, will cover four generations, the children, the grandchildren, and the great-grandchildren. It doesn't say that. What it says is the iniquities will follow four generations. So what's inside you never even have to do it, but because it hasn't been dealt with, and it's an inward motivation, it's a, you think, a secret motivation, and iniquity, according to Scripture, the next four generations are going to have to deal with it. And here's what we know, what's in the heart of one generation is in the hands of the next generation. Let me say it this way, what's, what's, in, what's done in the secret, in the internal side, what's in the heart of one generation is done in excess in the next generation. And I want you to look backwards to see what is going on in this generation because it's evidence that it was in the heart of a previous generation. But I also want to bring a, a, a playing field of 
It may have been that we just didn't know how to deal with the iniquities of the heart. And I think in the midst of all of that, we've seen ministry begin to rise up and begin to address the iniquities that are in the hearts of mankind. When we realize that religion won't work, that a relationship that come, leads to freedom is the key. So I want to level that out right there. So iniquity, iniquity is an inward motivation and transgression is an outward movement. And if it is in your heart, so I need to establish, it will affect your family if not dealt with. So iniquity is an inward transgression, and, an, and uh, sorry, an iniquity is inward, and a transgression is outward. But here's the good news. Isaiah 53, 5 says this, but Jesus, he, Jesus, was wounded externally for our transgressions, hallelujah, and he was bruised, that's an internal, inward, for our iniquities. So there's healing and there's freedom. It's already been paid for. Now we got to figure out how to walk in it. So here's the good news. All right, can we just establish that as we're going through this? Here's what impurity does. Here's what lust does. Here's what, there's a way out. There's an answer. And we're going to get to the resolve today. Number two is this, impurity affects your faith. Family, faith. And many people in our generation have this heart attitude that, well, if we love each other and we're going to get married anyway, then what difference does a piece of paper make? How many times have you heard of that? How many times have you thought that? Well, Here's the, here's, the, here's the issue. And this is exactly how Satan works. He gets us to focus on a distraction, and the distraction is the piece of paper. And in reality, he's right. The piece of paper makes no difference. But what does make a difference is the blessing and favor from the Lord from doing it his way. That is true. So when God tells us not to do something or to do it the way he requires it, it's not because he's a prude and he doesn't want us to have fun. In fact, he wants us to have a lot of fun in the right parameters. If you're married, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And so it's not like you'll, you would tell parents, you wouldn't tell your kids, don't go play out in the street because you don't want them to have fun. No, you want them to live a long and healthy life so that they can have a lot more fun in the right places. You see, what he's, you see what he's doing? This is why God has boundaries, has, has statute, has, has principles, has commands, has laws, has, has guidance. This is why the word of God is so important for us because we actually get to live a free life doing more, but it's his way. And the closer you get to him, you don't want to do other things other ways anyway. So when God says flee sexual immorality, there's a reason. All sexual immorality opens a door to other sins. It all leads to other sins. For example, some of those are deception, manipulation, lying, because you have to sneak around for any type of sexual immorality. So you open up the door to deception and lying. David had to manipulate. He had to deceive. He had to lie in order to commit a murder to cover up the sin of sleeping with Bathsheba. And in the New Testament, on this dispensation, this side of the cross, Jesus says the moment you commit, you have ill against, in your heart against your brother and sister, you've committed murder. So what happens is we lie, we manipulate, we deceive to go give in to the lust that's in our hearts. And once that's happened and people begin to get hurt, we start to think ill about the people around us, and now we're killing them. Never even have to pull the trigger. You just spoke and thought ill of them in your heart. In Jesus' standards, we committed murder. Whew. 
That's heavy. So if a young person asks, hey, mom, dad, we're going to go out. We're gonna, I'm going to go out with my girlfriend or my boyfriend. And the mom or dad says, hey, that's great. What are you going to do? Well, we're going to go have sex. Okay, be home by 10. <laughs> Is that? No, they manipulate. They lie. They deceive so that they can give in to the lust that's in their heart, the iniquity that's in there. And the iniquity turns into a transgression because oftentimes the iniquity has yet to be dealt with. It's real. And the very same thing happens in marriages. When a man or woman goes looking for that initial stimulation that they had when they first met their current spouse, right? Or the spouse you may have had. There's that stimulation. It's exciting. It's, there's a rush to it. There's mystery and there's a little bit of wildness to it. Maybe, maybe because you may be living in sin, there's some things that you're already doing. So it creates a little bit of excitement because the lust is, is ravaging inside of our hearts. And we love that. It's exciting. We get married. So we decide, this is the love of my life. This is, there's so much passion and so much excitement, so much deep love. And then all of a sudden, the marriage it takes place and, and all that stuff fizzles out because I really don't know this individual what's going on with this individual I don't know how this person works I never even got to really know the deep inner workings of this individual I just love the stimulation that came along with this individual and then I don't have that anymore then all of a sudden I go looking for another person that gives me that stimulation that lights my fire that must be my soulmate because this one wasn't and so divorce and then the cycle of finding that stimulus, seeking that stimulation yet again for someone who excites me because they must be my, my soulmate, and then I get married to them, and then they don't do it for me anymore, and then divorce, and then the cycle begins to perpetuate, always looking for that lust to be fulfilled. But here's the reality. Love doesn't have those emotions or feelings. Love is a choice. And in the beginning, those things may have been used, ignited, and igniting a fire that we then have to fan the flame of and put a little timber on and keep going because the flame doesn't just stay alive. It takes work, and it's all through the scriptures, how to keep, it, keep that flame lit up and working. And it's effort. It's effort. So I can't be a couch potato, an armchair quarterback, sitting back. I don't know where the flame went. You quit fanning it. You quit putting a little tender on it. Get a little tender. Put it on it. The deception is that the individual would leave their current spouse and go looking for that same cycle over and over and over and yet never fulfill. James 1.14 says this, But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lusts. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it has run its course, brings forth death. Do not be deceived. Here's what happens. It begins, once sin, the lust starts to ravage up inside, it turns into sin, and then it leads to death. It's death of relationships, marriage, finances, other situations, maybe your housing situation. All kinds of situations just fall to death, all because I wanted to please that, that loss, that, that lack that was inside. I went searching for it with impurity, lust, which turned to sin. So family are affected, faith is affected, and your future. Number three is your future is affected. And here's a lie that Joseph could have believed from Satan. Your brothers have sold you off as slaves you're never going to fulfill your purpose. It's over. Your dreams will never come true now. And in fact, you're a slave now to Potiphar. 
So why don't what you might as well go ahead and sleep with his wife because you'll never fulfill your purpose. Here's, here's something very interesting that the world needs to know. It was actually slavery that put Joseph in a position so that his God-given purpose could be fulfilled. But it was the way that Joseph internalized everything, the way he allowed God to mold his character that would prove whether or not he would fulfill that purpose or not, whether he would fulfill that purpose or not. So hear me now. There's only one person that can ever thwart. doesn't matter your circumstance or matter your situation. There's only one person that can thwart you from fully fulfilling the purpose that God has given you in your life. You. And doesn't matter where you come from, there's only one person, only one thing that can keep you, can hinder you from this. It's you and your character. It's a choice that you begin to make in the heat of a situation, a test, mind you, that God has used to bless you, to help you do lion stuff so that you can grow up into the image of him. And it doesn't matter what the next person does or says or what you feel like they're trying to keep from you. When you do it God's way, he moves mountains and the Holy Spirit begins to move. Favor and blessing and grace come upon you. And all you did was conform to the image of Christ. It's his promise. So you also need to know that if you've ever fallen... You can still pick yourself back up in the Lord, dust yourself off and say, well, that didn't work because a righteous man falls seven times. But guess what? He gets back up. Can I get in a good amen there? Because when we get up and we decide that didn't work, I'm going to do it God's way. That is passing the test. You never fail a test. You just get another chance to retake the same test over and over and over until you finally get it. And when you start to get the groundwork, you lay the groundwork of that test, you start to be begin to strengthen yourself in the Lord in that area of life, this being the impurity. So you become a little bit more pure. And then the more you rotate, you go up that ladder of success, then you get another opportunity because there's going to be somebody sexier, something more attractive, something along, because now you have something and it's going to be another type of temptation. And that groundwork that's been laid whenever you are just starting to emerge is going to be tested and, and, and checked and see, are you still there? I assure you, that's why you see these big leaders fall because they didn't think that they were still being tested and they thought well I'm glad I passed that test a long time ago good luck you're always being tested and the more you get tested the more you enjoy the, con the conforming to the image of Christ and so the more you're welcoming the test because you know I can't do it in and of myself the moment I do I break but when I say low and I allow the Lord to work and I just humble up and I repent when I do mess up and I come back around and I say, Lord, that's not my best. I need my best. I need my best to flow through you. Then he does something. He begins to work. He says, okay, now I can do something with you. So important. But you also need to know that's why we're so adamant about inner healing, about freedom, and about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Because let me tell you, you can't do it in your own strength. It's only the power of the Holy Spirit working through you that can give you everything that you need to acclimate to the ways of God. Can't do it in and of yourself. So God leaves us no excuse for not fulfilling the dream he has given us that is, that is intended us, the dream that he has given us that is intended to draw us to fulfill, to his purpose, to fulfill his purpose that he has on our lives. We just have to be humble and find help. Number one, impurity affects your family, affects your faith, number two, affects your future, number three, if you so allow, and number four, 
impurity begins in the eye. Matthew 5, 28 says, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. Like the moment that stimulation just begins to rise up and lust is already there, the transgression has already taken place. You see, we, a lot of people think that, oh, because of grace, Jesus, the standards are so much lower. Actually, Jesus raises the standards. You know, well, the law is bad because, you know, it's just so hard to live by. Well, Jesus came and he made it even more difficult. And the reality is it's only with him and through him and the power of the Holy Spirit that we're ever, ever going to be able to do this. Plus, we get, we get for, for forgiveness through repentance. And when we confess our sins, our faults one to another, and we ask somebody, a brother that is confidential, sister, to pray for us, the promise is we'll be healed. But boy, sure, isn't that tough? To humble ourselves to another. Looking leads to lust, and lust results in adultery. The, in, the iniquity inside. When I begin to look, when I look, I first look, that iniquity, it just begins to cause that stimulation of that iniquity to rise up, and then all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm like the Potiphar's wife taking that longing eyes. Which reminds me, whenever, you know, my, my, when I was growing up, my pastor, as a kid, I remember him saying, it's that second look that's the look of lust. Anybody else have a pastor that said that? That was a, that was a teaching back then. And so all we did was learn to take a long first look. <laughs> and that's how, that's how we can win staring contests now. Like, the, keep those eyes open. I never blink. I just take a long look. Because if I blink, it's going to turn into lust. <laughs> and that's so far from the truth, by the way. But that was the teaching. But the moment you begin to protect and, and, and looking and give excuse to it or defense is the moment that iniquity begins to take root and develop a stronghold in your soul, in your innermost being, and then the next generations are going to pay for it. And you know lust is beginning to manifest in your heart when you look at another person who is not your spouse, and all of a sudden that rush, that excitement, that stimulation starts to take on, that, pur that is purposed for your spouse. And again, you got to keep working on that thing. you got to keep putting tinder on it. you got to keep flam flam fanning the flame so that stimulation stays about. And husbands and wives both, if your spouse is struggling with lust, struggling in this area, the worst thing that you can do is when they come and try to open up and confess, here's what I'm do dealing with, here's what's going on, the worst thing you can do is reject them in your own hurts, feeling rejected yourself, and then begin to create a wedge between you and them when they were trying to humble themselves and find somebody lovingly close to them that they can struggle with. And the very next thing, things that happen when the wedge is there, when you're pushing away your spouse who's trying to get honest, open, and transparent, which causes you to close up and reject in your own hurts, an individual, it ends up leading in divorce. You're just as wrong as the person who committed the sin. And the moment you stop, you start withholding yourself from your spouse, whether it's men not giving emotional needs over to your spouse, to your wife, and wives not giving physical needs back over to your husband. The moment you do, 
Two things are happening. The sin has already taken place. The one who is withholding is committing the sin, but the other person is not a tool, not a toy for you. And in rejection, if the other individual, well, I'll go look at these little 20-second reels that last me 30 minutes, or I'll go find somewhere else. All of a sudden, husband is, is dressing up to go to a place where he knows so-and-so, she frequents, wants to look better so he can get attention, so that stimulation can rise up so he can feel appreciated, honored, right? Or that woman starts to look up, start looking better, and starts to do herself up a little bit better so that she can go to a place where she knows he is going to be, and he can give her some encouragement. He's so nice. He listens to me. He wants to hear what's going on in my heart. Not long, let me tell you. (laughs) Unless he's not really a he. I'm just saying. Which is why it takes a lot of work to fan the flame of love because it's not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy. Oh, man. But if you'll give your your spouse a chance to confess and embrace them in their weakness... Now you've, you've created a trust zone, a place of deep intimacy. And let me tell you, there's no greater place to have trust, deep intimacy, than in a, the confines of marriage where a woman, a, a wife can come and say, hey, I've been having these lustful thoughts, these lustful dreams, these lustful things going on. Would you pray for me? Absolutely. Because you've got to know this is a ploy from the enemy. It's not about you and it's not about her. It's not about him and it's not about, it's, a, it's an attack from the outside, and it's a struggle from the fathers, the generation before, the generation before that, the generation before that. So why would I, would I, why would I condemn someone when they're trying to find healing, trying to find restoration, trying to find wholeness? I should welcome that. When he is struggling with those videos that come across, the, come across his social media screen, or he sees that girl just jogging down the road, wow, why? But let, me give you some, let me give you some help in all of this. Don't look. If looking leads to sin, what leads to lust, and lust leads to adultery, then convince yourselves. Look at this in Psalms 101.3. I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I'll make a choice. Proverbs 27.20, hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of a man are never satisfied. We want more and more and more. That's why 20-second reels turn into 30 minutes. How did I watch 30 minutes of this? They're only 20 seconds long. Because what happens is stimulation, and then, oh, that's over, and then another stimulation, it's how addiction starts. Loss, emptiness, stimulation that is enjoyed and appreciated and and, and embraced, and then, even though you may feel a little bit weird after that, stimulation again feeds that loss in that hole in your soul, which is what lust does, This is Satan's work over here to keep you, to distract you from what God is doing up here in front of you, from your ultimate purpose. And so if if Satan can keep you distracted and keep you stimulating over and over over something that means nothing, that's a lust of your soul and an emptiness, feeding the emptiness in your soul, God will never be able to fulfill and feed the emptiness and become the one true whole Lord that you and I need to depend on to fulfill the destiny that he has for us. It'll never happen. Matthew 6, and 23 says, The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore, if therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. 
Verse 23, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? They compete. The, manif- that the presence of God can't be on your life if you're constantly looking at these reels. And if you're constantly looking at these reels and the presence of God can't be on your life, then the distraction of what's going on and the stimulation and, and the lust and the lusting after, the trying to find affirmation, trying to find acceptance from the wrong people, the wrong source, becomes a distraction. It, it becomes a, a, a distraction in your decision-making. It confuses you. It grays you. It fu- puts a little fuzz in your ability to make wise decisions. And when that happens, we can't make wise decisions and sound decisions based on what God is leading us and guiding us to do that will ultimately order our footsteps and fulfill the purpose, the destiny that he has designed us and equipped us for. It's a trick. Job 31.1 says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? So if you're struggling with this test, it may be appropriate for you to get open with someone, not everyone, but find someone that you can trust, get some accountability, be correctable, teachable, allow them to pray for you and say, hey, here's what's going on. I'm struggling in this area. Hey, no problem. We're going to get through it. Because James 5, 16 says, the prayers of a righteous person. Confess your faults one to another. Pray for each other that you be healed. You confess to God for forgiveness. You confess to a friend, another, with prayer so that you can find healing. Forgiveness comes from the Lord. Healing comes when two people come together and they're praying over a situation, a struggle, and one person is willing. That one person is willing to repent and confess and seek forgiveness. The promise is that God will bring healing. And once God brings healing, we don't run back to that iniquity. It's a temptation, but it doesn't mean we have to grab a hold of the temptation. So it's stealing your decision. It's stealing the emotional strength that you need to make sound decisions based on what God is saying, what he's trying to say to you, because it's all fuzzy. I'm distracted. I'm distracted with this, so I can't hear from the Holy Spirit, and it's keeping me from making wise decisions. And here's how I know. I know this with with experience. Let me just tell you. When I was a child, I don't know if I was six or seven, I remember the hard stuff, when my dad took me to one of his girlfriend's house, married. I remember the apartment complex. I remember where it is. It is trauma in my brain. God is used to heal me over and healing and layers of healing and layers of healing. And I remember him setting me in the living room to play little dinosaur toys with, with, the, with, the, with the lady's daughter. And they go to take a nap. And I know that's not my mama. And I remember telling my mom, my mother about it. And I remember getting in the car as a little boy and dr- showing her, she drove, I showed her where the apartment complex. I remember watching her break down in tears because of all of that. And he got comfortable. He never stopped. He divorced her because he knew what he was doing wasn't right, wasn't honest, wasn't integrous. And his life as he continued this, was ruined when at 50 years old, started dating an 18-year-old, and she took him for everything. He now knows that was stupid. But let me tell you what the iniquity that's inward in the fathers passes down to the next generation. The iniquity that's in the heart of the grandfathers, the great-grandfathers, passes down to the third and the fourth generation. And so I know, 
that was a clear attack of how Satan would manipulate me, use me, deceive me, to try to find fulfillment in my broken soul, not knowing that this was an iniquity, an iniquity in my family's line, until I truly gave my life over to the Lord. And when I truly gave my life over to the Lord, he became Lord of all. Because if the Lord is not Lord over all of your life, he ain't Lord at all. So I want to invite you, if you've never met Jesus on a Lord of all standpoint, you may have said the prayer, but you weren't ready to give up life. I just want to encourage you to do that today, because today is the day, if we're going to move beyond iniquity, which leads to impurity, which causes us to be deceptive, manipulative, and lying. And then eventually we're committing murder in our hearts towards our brothers and sisters and others in Christ. We're going to be cleansed by the Holy Spirit. So we might need to give our lives over. I'm going to pray for you. And I just want to ask the question, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? And if you're that person today, like, I've just been doing the do. I just want to encourage you to give your full life over your decision making, your heart, your attitude of the heart. The darkest sins that nobody knows, but let me tell you, they will be brought out to light because it's a promise from God. You'll be tested by those things. I want to encourage you today. Lord, I, I lay it all down. I'm giving you 100% authority over my life. I confess you, not just as Jesus, but as my Lord and Savior. I believe that you went to the cross for me, you were dead three days, buried and resurrected so that I can have freedom from this iniquity. That you were wounded for my transgressions. That you were bruised for my iniquities. And Lord, I receive everything that took place on the cross that day. And if you, need to, if you need to confess that with somebody today in, in our connect room, immediately following worship, we're going to have a team in there that's waiting to receive you with confidentiality, with no judgment, with open arms, to just help you to become all God created you to be. And Father, right now, we just pray for purity of heart, purity of soul. Pray for sound minds in this place in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, we pray for purity to move upon every one of us to begin to set up strongholds, positive strongholds that are against the iniquities of the fathers to the fourth generations. That this day forward, we will not allow this iniquity to continue through us into the generations that come after us. So Father, we pray for our families that they be pure. We pray that our faith be pure. We pray for our future to be holy in your sight and embraced in your hands. And Father, we just pray, we make a covenant with our eyes that though we may see, we'll not look, we'll not lust, we'll not embrace. And the moment we begin to find that stimulation is welling up in our souls, in our hearts, that rush and that excitement, the, the, the heart starts to beat fast. We look away and we just confess Jesus yet again. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen, and amen, and amen.